been teaching through the book of Revelation, uh, verse by verse. We're all the way up to Revelation uh, chapter 20, verse 7. So uh, we've, this is lesson 34. And so everything's online, notes are online. We've been doing this for a couple of years, not every Wednesday night, but a number of them, 34, 33 of them in the past, and the 34th. So nonetheless, we're going through this book. We're getting to the exciting parts now. How many are glad that one day you'll live on a new earth and be able to get into the new heavens and the new body? Isn't that exciting? Exciting things, exciting times. You know, these are sobering things I'm going to be sharing tonight. And, you know, uh, one thing about the Bible is you can't just take the favorite verse you like and just think about that. You've got to get the whole counsel of God. And we need all of the Word of God. And too many times, too many times what happens, to, particularly today, particularly in America, you know, we kind of feed people what they want to hear so we get more people coming. And, and Paul called that the itching ear syndrome. I resist that in Jesus' name. And I'm going to stand before Jesus one day, and he's not going to, he's not going to, he, he's going to look at me and ask me how I did. Now, I don't know what he's going to ask me. I just know he told me to preach the Word. And that doesn't mean my fa favorite pet doctrine. That means everything. And I'm responsible for you spiritually. So, you know, I share these things. My encouragement is the notes are online. And you can go back and hear these over and over again. The success of my personal spiritual life is, thank God for cassette tapes back in the 70s and 80s and early 90s. And then thank God for CDs when they came out. Now thank God for MP3s and MP4s and all the uh, information we have available on the Internet. And it's all free now. Used to charge. We don't charge a thing. It's all free. It's all free. I mean, how many know salvation's free? So, you know, for me, I've just taken, even though I've heard something, I'll go back and hear it over and over and over and over. Listen to the word in my car. I've listened to the word cutting my grass. I've, I've got cassette tapes I still have where I listen to the word painting my house or several houses I've had painting the house. I'm listening to stuff. And so if you'll get the word in you, the word of God will change you. How many hear me? And the problem today is a drought of the word of God. And people are hearing everything but the word. And I think it's a tool and a ploy of the enemy to keep us away from God and keep us from growing spiritually. You never grow spiritually without the Word, the balanced Word of God. You know, if all you do is eat candy or eat your favorite, your favorite food, you know, you'll have an imbalanced diet. You won't have the proper nutrition. That's why we need the whole counsel, right? So let's get right to this. Uh, let's look back at Revelation chapter 20, uh, and let's just read the first six verses. We talked about this last week. I'm going to jump right in. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Verse four, and I saw thrones and they, they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image, that's the Antichrist, and had not received his mark in their forehead or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection, blessed and holy, is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God. And of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So, so here we are, Revelation 20. Uh, uh, all of the judgments of God have come. The seals on the scroll in God's right hand have been opened. And there was succession of things that began to happen. War began to break out. The Antichrist revealed himself. Famine broke out. Uh, hyperinflation broke out. 
and there was uh, uh, mass slaughter of, uh, of, of uh, Jews and Christians uh, during that seal, those seals breaking. And then the rapture of the church occurs with the breaking of the sixth seal when the sun, moon, and stars darken. And, and then uh, there's a scene in heaven of the raptured saints worshiping and praising the God of heaven in glorified, well, not yet, uh, well, actually in glorified bodies with white robes on. And, uh, and then Revelation chapter 8, the, uh, the uh, trumpet judgments begin and, and that's the wrath of God that begins to be poured out on God's enemies. That's, and we talked about all these things in detail. And then Jesus returns and then, uh, and then the bold judgments occur. They take less than 30 days. And those bold judgments, there's seven of those as well. And they cleanse the earth. The very last one, the battle of Armageddon happens. And, and we've been through all of that. God's judged his enemies. He's judged false religions. He's judged the Antichrist. He's judged the false religious people that have worked with him. Uh, he's judged, uh, he's judged the, uh, the, uh, the business world that is anti-God and anti-Christ that has pulled people away from God and, and caused them to worship things. And all that's been judged. And here we are. Uh, Jesus has come back. The, the wedding of the Lamb of God and his people has happened. And here it is, Revelation chapter 20. And, uh, and, and we're going into the millennial reign of Christ. And the, and the world's being set up for that 1,000-year reign of Christ. The next thing after the rapture of the church, after uh, the second coming of Christ, after the battle of Armageddon, after God defeats all of his enemies, is God is preparing this world for eternity. Is that exciting? And you have a part to play in that. So to begin the millennial reign of Christ, Satan is actually placed in a place called the bottomless pit for the duration of Jesus' 1,000-year reign on earth. And then uh, believers, and we don't know who that is. The Bible is silent about it. You could, there's plenty of conjecture about it. But bottom line, there are believers who are sat on thrones of judgment who will actually judge the fallen angels. All of the demonic forces that have worked with, uh, with Satan through the millennia of time, worked with the Antichrist and, and, and just wrecked havoc on earth through the millennia of time, and uh, saints will judge angels, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and, uh, and, and then they will, these people will be ruling with Christ. You'll be ruling and reigning with Christ for that thousand-year time. You'll be in a glorified body. Um, wow, you know, one of you may be mayor of, of Raleigh. One of you may, one of you may, may, may oversee uh, another nation somewhere on another part of the world. God will give uh, assignments according to our obedience right now. That who, he who is faithful over little will be faithful in much, Luke 16, 10 says. Are you being faithful with what God gave you now? You may not feel like God's doing anything for you or with you, and maybe he's not using you in a grand way, but the question we all should have is, am I obeying God right now? If I'm obeying God right now, if I'm being faithful with whatever little he asked me to do, maybe right now it's just a season of your life. You're getting up, spending time with God. You're in the word. You're praying. You're faithful on your job. You're loving your kids. You're loving your spouse. You're doing what you know to do. You're living right. Your life is a, as a witness. And, and maybe you feel like you're not making a big stamp, maybe a big impact, but you're having more of an impact than you realize. And the bottom line is God takes where we are now and what we do now, the obedience that we live before him with. And sometimes you got to grunt through, grunt through life. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it feels like you're not making a difference. Anybody ever felt any of these ways? But you just got to know you're accruing value in eternity. And our obedience now determines what happens and where he can use us in this thousand-year reign and then on into eternity. Isn't that interesting? 
And so, again, uh, we also looked in these verses uh, the fact that um, all, of the, all of those in Christ from the time that Jesus was resurrected all the way through the church age, all the way through the, those that were killed, uh, decapitated, or slaughtered by the Antichrist during the seven years we typically call tribulation, uh, those people are resurrected from, the, their bodies are resurrected from physical death. Uh, during that time, those that came to Jesus after the rapture are resurrected, getting glorified bodies. They're part of the first resurrection, us raptured believers that go up, uh, you know, at some point during the seven-year period. We're part of the first resurrection, so we've talked about all that. And, um, and so Revelation 20, verse 7, here we are. We're going to finish the chapter tonight. Now, when the thousand years has expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, uh, whose number is as the sand of the sea. So again, uh, Satan's been incarcerated for a thousand years in a place called the bottomless pit, the uh, Antichrist, and then the false religious person that has pointed the world towards him uh, during, during his seven-year time here. They've are, they're already in the lake of fire, but not Satan. Now, it's strange to me. You just see something about God. There's no way you can ever accuse God of being unjust or unfair. He gives, he gives as much slack as he possibly can to every person, every, every living creature. How many hear me? The angels that are judged, they had their chance. Satan will be judged. He has his, he's got his chance. And one thing that we don't realize in America about our loving God is not only is he loving, but his love is based on justice. Every sin will, has to be paid for. You can't get to heaven with sin in your life because God is holy and sin is unholy. God is pure. Sin is impure. So sin, sin has to be judged either by sacrifice or by fire. If sin is judged by sacrifice, then it's the sacrifice of Jesus. And his, and his, and his blood has cleansed your sin and you've trusted him, right? Uh, but if you don't accept Jesus' sacrifice, then your sin has to be paid for with fire. And that's the fire of hell and then that's the lake of fire. People don't like to talk about it today because it seems like it's unkind, unjust, unfair. But God could be no more kinder than to allow a person who went their own way to spend eternity in the lake of fire. That sounds strange, doesn't it? But he gave them exactly what they wanted when they didn't choose him. They can't just run around in the universe, you know, uh, an eternal rebellious spirit entity and, and, and demoralize the universe. He can't just let them just run free. They can't go to heaven. Where are they going to go? Well, we're going to find out in a minute. And this well, we'll find out at the very end here. Uh, hell and the lake of fire was prepared for Satan and his angels. And anybody who obeys him gets his same reward. That's a challenge. He's going to get quiet here tonight. So uh, here we are. So here we are. A thousand years has expired. Satan has been released from the bottomless pit. And, and this is a strange thing. Now, think about it. Boys, I've tried to wrap my head around this. It's just really something that, that we've, been, we've been with Jesus for a thousand years. That's a long time. Huh? 
a thousand years. You're in glorified bodies. We've been, we've been doing all kinds of stuff. The curse is being somewhat lifted from the earth, not completely, but somewhat. And uh, uh, there's no sickness. There's no poverty. Jesus has been ruling from Jerusalem for a thousand years. There's two classes of people on earth during the thousand-year reign of Jesus. There'll be natural people and natural bodies that go through the seven years of what we typically call the tribulation time. And somehow they, they survive, physically survive uh, all of the hell. And there's probably over, man, three, four billion people estimated that will die during those last couple of years of that seven-year period we call typically called tribulation. That's a lot of people. There'll be some people that survive. So you've got eight billion people now, probably two, uh, you know what they say, is about two estimated two billion people uh, that are believers. There's six, so there'll be a couple of, there may be, there, there'll be a good crowd that may go through in, glorif- in, in natural human bodies from from the earth as we know it today into the thousand-year reign of Christ. Most people never even give that a thought, but that's true. So people are going to be having babies during the thousand-year reign of Jesus. And then we believers who have been raptured and then those that uh, experienced the first resurrection and those that were raised from the dead after the, the, uh, the tribulation time, right at the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, they'll have glorified bodies. So you got two different kinds of people, people in glorified bodies like us, and then you'll have a natural race of, race of people. They will be marrying, giving in marriage. They'll be having babies. And see, you say, well, what about those babies? Aren't they saved when they're born? No, they're sinners. No, no, humans when they're born. No, 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 Our first, uh, the first man sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. And because of Adam and Eve, we all inherit a nature called sin. And when we get to the point that we know the difference between right and wrong, that's why Romans 7, 9 says, uh, I, I was alive without the law one time. That's him when you're a little baby. God doesn't hold you accountable because you don't know. I was alive without the law one time. But when the commandment came, that is the ability to determine right and wrong, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So you got to think about it this way during the thousand-year reign of Jesus. You get all these, who knows how many people would be born during that time. All of these people, every person born during that time, they've got to experience salvation. And then those that, that go through that seven-year uh, period and are not saved yet, some may survive. They've got to come to Jesus. They'll, they'll still be perhaps having babies. Some families may survive. And then families will accrue during that time. So you've got a whole, I'm trying to set a scene, you get it? So a whole bunch of people are 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 enjoying Jesus ruling the earth. We'll talk about it a little bit more here in a minute uh, during that thousand years. But Satan's let loose at the very end of that time, out of the bottomless pit. And these people who have been born during that time will experience what we experience every day of our life, and that is the pressure from the satanic kingdom. And Satan will come to lie. He'll come to steal, connive, cheat, vilify, uh, distort, and they've never understood those kinds of things. And he'll tell them that Jesus, is, his way's not the best. He'll lie, obviously, to the nations of the world. And they're going to surround Jesus in Jerusalem. Look at this. Everybody here? Verse 9, Revelation 20. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. 
Let me get back up to verse 7. When the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. See, that makes sense if you understand people are being born that have never been tempted to sin the way you and I have. Isn't that something to think about? And then, and then verse, verse 8, and will go out to deceive the nations of the world from the four corners of the earth. Then it says Gog and Magog. Now, Gog and Magog, Gog is the, let's talk about Ezekiel 38. Gog is the ruler, Magog is the people that he rules, and he's talking about the rule and reign in Ezekiel 38 specifically of the Antichrist and those that are under his tutelage, under his control. So he says something like this, and he calls it again, Gog and Magog. Gog. He's talking about the people that are listening to someone other than Jesus. You get it? So he uses that term, Gog, their leader, and Magog, the people, to gather them together to battle. It gets so intense. Can you imagine? We've been with Jesus. We have in glorified bodies for a thousand years. And here comes the devil again. And you know, we, you might be thinking, oh, not again, really. Jeez Louise. We had enough of him, you know, before, before this thousand-year reign. This is too good. Can this really be happening? And he convinces people that he's right and that Jesus is wrong. Think about it. Think about the effects of that. They surround Jesus in Jerusalem, and it says, whose number is as the sand of the sea. There's a lot of them. My goodness. Then it says, verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Now, Jesus is going to be reigning from Jerusalem. I'll show you in a minute. And then it says, very simply, fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That's all it said. Done. I mean, they're done. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2, the word uh, that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, now, Isaiah suddenly begins to talk about this time after the millennial reign of Christ. Watch this. Watch this. Or during the millennial reign of Christ. Now, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Now that's talking about Jesus reigning and ruling on the earth during the millennial reign of Christ. What does that mean? That means that the laws of the kingdom of God, the law of love rules, the Ten Commandments are in force. Uh, The lawlessness has been put aside that came up on the earth before. I mean, how many know lawlessness is bad right now? You want to know where devils are working? Look where people are breaking law. Look where humans know to do good and choose not to do it. People break relationship rules. They break civic civil rules, the nations where they live. They break the eternal laws of God and think nothing of it, laugh about it, say there is no God. What causes that? Demon spirits. You see, that same thing's coming back right at the very end of the thousand-year reign of Jesus. And Jesus is reigning here. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3 says he's right there in Jerusalem. And it says, uh, verse 3, 2 and then verse 3, Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach his ways, and, and we uh, shall walk in his paths. The millennial temple will be rebuilt during that time. Jesus will be reigning from Jerusalem. And that's strange to think about. And so all of the laws and all of the nations of the earth, which nations will exist? Well, Matthew chapter 25, the nations, there are sheep nations and goat nations. If you go read that passage, I don't have time tonight. 
but the nations that honored Israel, that believed that God still wanted to do something uh, with and through his people Israel, that honored Israel as a nation, those nations will remain nations during the uh, millennial reign of Christ. But those nations that resisted Israel, that were not for Israel, will not exist perhaps during the thousand-year reign of Christ. And so again, those nations will be walking in the light of the rules and laws of the kingdom of God, and Jesus will be overseeing that with the glorified saints. Does that make sense? And then it says, for out of Zion, partway through verse 3, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. God will rule the world through his word. Is that cool? See, we read these verses, we don't know what they mean. That's what he's saying. Verse 4, he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. See, people won't have clean hearts. Many people that are born during that time, they won't be Christian. They won't be saved. And they have rebellious hearts. You've got a rebel nature. You've got a rebel inside you. I've got a rebel inside me until Jesus kicks him out with the new birth, right? And so there it is. He'll judge between the nations, rebuke many people. They'll be saying, well, well, you know, uh, I, I want to be a homosexual. I want to be a lesbian. I want to be a transgender person. I, I, I don't want to be married, but I want to live with this person. Jesus said, you won't be doing that here. The rule of the kingdom of God is here. You won't be doing that here. He'll have to rebuke them. That goes over big today, doesn't it? They shall beat their swords into plowshares. He'll be telling the nations, you don't need to fight your, fellow, your, your, your neighboring nation. Y'all can, y'all, can, y'all can settle your disputes, disputes and disagreements. I, I need about 500 saints to go over there in a millisecond and let's solve that problem over there. Isn't that cool? There's Jesus ruling from Jerusalem. That's pretty cool. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Wow. And then uh, here it says fire came down, so they surrounded uh, the camp of the saints, the beloved city. Those that were born during that time, they have never been tempted and yielded to the temptation of Satan. And then it says, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. I mean, that's it. They're obliterated pretty quickly. So uh, the rebellion was quickly and easily defeated by Jesus. Ezekiel 39 verse 6, and I will send fire on Magog and those who live in the security in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Uh, Spirit, New Spirit-filled life Bible, the notes there in that really good Bible that was um, compiled in 2002, Satan will be released in the earth again. To deceive, he says about this passage. It appears that many who submitted to Christ's rule during the millennium did not did so without inner commitment to his lordship. Do you know there's a lot of people that attend church today, they do it because mom and daddy did it. They do it because something inside of them says that they need to do it, but they're not really submitted to Jesus. And it'll be that way at the very end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. So he says here, uh, it appears that many who submitted to Christ's rule during the millennium did so without the inner commitment of his lordship. The final deception of Satan separates these from those who have sincerely submitted. Now, this is the last insurrection that the Lord will tolerate. Satan will next be cast into the lake of fire and tormented forever. Then verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So, <laughs> first thing I want to point out here, 
they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. There are people that teach that hell uh, is an annihilation, is that the fire just simply consumes the human personality in hell. And I've talked to people who have said, well, I'm ready, I want to go to hell. I say, well, you're a fool. You're just a fool. You, you, you are blinded. Because, and they have the idea, well, if I just don't exist, it won't matter. It's better than the pain I'm living in now, but I don't want to walk with God. Now, that's a rebellious attitude, isn't it? Somebody's watching me right now, and you're laughing at me, but you know what? You've, you've said that very thing. Now, Jesus wants you to know that he loves you, and he doesn't want you to think that way, and that you will repent of who you are and where you've been and what's happened to you and the thing that has harmed your heart so, so much and hardened you against God. I know that person shouldn't have abused you. They shouldn't have hurt you, said those things about you, did what they did to you in private that nobody knows about, but God Almighty knows. And one day, unless they repent, they'll answer for what they did. But that doesn't give you the right to hold it against them. It's hardened your heart, sir. God wants you to repent and come to Jesus. And you can find mercy and grace and forgiveness. What you feel right now is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's coming on you right now. And he's asking you to fall on your face and say, God, help me. I need you. And if you'll yield, Jesus will change your life. Wow. Glory. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. Wow. Every sin is judged. Now, I want you to look, everybody look at me in the room. We're living in a real lawless time, and some things happen that make you seethe. It makes your blood boil. That's not fair. That's not right. If you've ever had an injustice committed against you, and the person wipes their mouth and kind of with that sly grin because they knew they got by with it, and you couldn't do one thing about it, every sin will be paid for in eternity. You've got to know that. You know what? You can't help when people commit injustices against you. You have to do like Jesus did or, or, or even um, uh, Stephen. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Jesus, pray, Father, forgive them. You've got to be willing to forgive people that hurt you. And you can't do Sometimes you can't do anything about it. Right? People steal your money, take advantage of you, do things that you know and they know are wrong. They think they're getting by. You get by with nothing in this life. You say, well, they go to their grave. Nothing happened to them. They kept my money. Listen, I've had people steal from me. And you know what? I had to let that, if I let it go, I'll be all right. But if I keep it and I hold on to it, it'll burn in me for the rest of my life. Is that true? I've had people say things, do things that I knew was wrong. They knew were wrong. Well, they never looked back. I got to do one of two things, forgive them and let it go. Or if I choose to hold on to it, it binds me and hurts me and hinders me. What you got to know about life, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Every sin will be judged. Well, I'm getting by with it right now. Somebody said, you know, I'm fornicating. I'm, I'm committing adultery. Nobody knows. I know God knows, but look at it. I'm nothing wrong with me. I'm still strong and healthy. Your day's coming, my friend. Unless you repent. How many hear me? You know, doing drugs, drinking on the side, 
doing things you shouldn't do, living wrong. We could go into great detail here. It's amazing to me how many people die, and then after the fact, people find out, well, I didn't know they were doing that. Didn't know they were doing that. You've seen that, right? We've seen that recently, haven't we, right? right? Yeah. Every sin is judged. I've got to hang around this a minute till I can get released. Every sin is judged. That's the reason before you go to bed at night, you want to say, Father, you said if I say I have no sin, I deceive myself, and the truth is not in me. 1 John 1, 8. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 2, 1, these things I write to you that you don't sin. And if any man does sin, we have an advocate, a lawyer with a father who's never lost a case. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Is that good? And he is the atonement, the satisfaction. He satisfies God's anger against sin. Not for us only, but also for the sins of our whole world. Before you, when you lay your head on your pillow, you say, Father, every sin that I know I committed, forgive me today. Words, thoughts, actions, forgive me, sir. If they come to your mind, say, I judge it, I judge it, I judge it. Really, when you do something wrong, you ought to judge it right then, right? But if you let it slip and forget, before you go to sleep, say, Lord, I deal with that right now in Jesus' name. There's somebody you're holding offense against. It might be the person laying beside you in your bed Call your spouse. I forgive them, Lord. Let it go. Right? Right? And then you say, Lord, see, that sense of commission. Sins of omission. Lord, things I should have done today. I didn't speak to that person. I didn't stand up for what was right. I turned my back when something was going on and I should have said something. Forgive me. That sins of omission, things I should have. He that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. See, we commit those two. We don't like to think about that, but we do, right? And it's not that you get in a sin consciousness, but here's the idea. God is pure and holy and you want to stay in fellowship with him, right? And sin shuts the door to fellowship with him. So you want to keep a clean slate, right? The bottom line here is, and I mention this because Satan is tormented day and night forever and ever. He gets by with nothing. Every lie, every slur, every deception, every fraud, every time he's hurt, every time he's stolen, every time he's killed, is just deserts. Here they are. It's not just for a day, it's for eternity. Once you go to this place called the Lake of Fire, there's no way to get out. Anyway, I've got some notes here you may want to look at. I've gathered from other places. Then Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. Now, John is on the Isle of Patmos. About 95 AD, first century. Jesus has appeared to him in his glory. Then I saw, and he, and he had visions of, of, of what is to come. Then I saw a great white throne, John says. And to him who sat on, he saw God sitting on his throne. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now, this is a reference, and we'll get to it the next lesson. We'll start talking about the new heavens and new earth. The earth is going to be refurbished. Second Peter 3 says it's going to be autoclaved with fire. So God takes all of the dead bodies out of the ground and out of the oceans before that happens. And I'm assuming, you know, it doesn't really say what's going to happen to the people that are on the earth 
after the millennial reign of Christ and after the great white throne judgment, what's going to happen to them? Some, they're going to have to go somewhere. God's going to, God's going to re-cleanse and revitalize the earth with fire. Uh, it's, a little, we're, it's a little blind as to exactly what happens there. Something's got to happen, right? Right? Wow, so here we are. The earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place. That's talking about the new heavens and new earth that are coming. The earth and the things we know now are going to be said, uh, it's going to be a, a, a regenerated earth. And that's what it's talking about right there. Then it says, verse 12, I saw the dead small. In fact, let me read this. This is a note from the Holman Christian Standard Bible study notes. He's got some great notes in that Bible. The phrase great white throne emphasizes God's purity and holiness and judging and his sovereign right to both rule and judge the earth. The phrases earth and heaven fled and no place was found for them apparently refer to the first heaven and first earth giving way at the final judgment to a new heaven and new earth. And again, we'll talk about that. Then verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and the books were opened. So death is not the cessation of life, it's the change of life from one sphere to another. It's it's going from physical life to spiritual life. The spiritual life, the, the physical life ceases, but spiritual life continues on. So he said, I saw the dead. Small and great. Now, the dead. Let's talk about that a minute. I saw the dead. There's nowhere in Scripture that people who know Jesus or the Old Testament saints that believed in the blood sacrifice pointing towards Jesus, there's no Scripture that refers to them as being dead. Listen again to this. I know you're familiar, but Luke 20, verse 34, Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who were counted worthy to attain that age And the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore. I know some of you are saying, but I want to be with my spouse in eternity. Well, well, maybe God will let you do that, but it won't be like it is now. I'm going to beg say, I want to be around Susan, but we'll see. Verse 36, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord, the God of Abraham, called the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, Jesus speaking here. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to him. Isn't that awesome? So again here, it says, I saw the dead. Now, what does that mean? Then obviously the spiritually dead. So let me say it again. No Christians are found here. No believers are here. This is for those who left this, their bodies without Jesus, without Christ. And I'm assuming it would also include those that went through the millennial reign of Christ that worked with Satan when he was led out of that bottomless pit and surrounded Jerusalem one last time and were deceived by the devil and never acquiesced to Jesus' reign during that thousand years. They're here too because they're the dead. I saw the dead, spiritually dead, small and great. So let me say it again. So if you're thinking you're going to be here and you're saved, this is not talking about you. But it may be talking about your brother or your sister or your extended family. It may be talking about the people you work with or, or some of the friends that you know, people that you, that you uh, frequent regularly uh, throughout your, your week. Maybe talking about some of those people that you know that will be right here. That's the reason we need to share Jesus. How many hear me? Share the gospel with people that were around. 
Because we don't, nobody wants to be here. I saw the dead. Then, then it says small and great. That's not talking about stature. I saw the dead small and great. The wealthy, the poor. The influential, the unknown. Those who were celebrated, those that nobody knew. The dead small and great standing before God. And books were open. Now, if we go into detail with last week and compare that with this, they're standing before God in their human bodies that are resurrected from the grave. Non-glorified, I call them nasty human bodies because they're not glorified. Just a natural human body. It says the books were opened. Talks about books. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Now, we're not judged by, our our salvation is not by works. Is that true? Absolutely true. Again, no Christians are here. Believers, again, this is non-believers. There's two books that are open during this judgment. The first one is the book of life. The book of life is a book in heaven. It's mentioned, here are three passages where uh, the book of life is mentioned. Again, Revelation 13, 8, all who dwell on earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life. They're worshiping the Antichrist. The book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so again, Revelation 17, 8, the beast you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit, go to perdition. We just mentioned that, read about that. And those who dwell on earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Now, that's interesting. Could it be that when your life is formed in your mother's womb, and Psalm 139 says that every day of your life has been written before God and planned out before you ever were born, that your name is also written in the book of life? Could it be that that book that God has called the book of life, your name's recorded the moment of birth because God's got faith that you'll accept Jesus. But if you die without him, he goes to the angel and says, remove the name. Daniel 12, 1, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. There'll be a time of trouble such as since, never since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So that's the book of life. So, you know, obviously, we all have the question, is my name written in the book of life? Well, the moment you make Jesus Lord, your name stays in that book. Is that good news? You don't get another chance after you die. I'm sorry if you're raised Catholic, you believe in purgatory, and you believe in paying penance, you believe in prayers for the dead. Nothing can save you once you die. That's what the Bible says. And you've got to go with what it says. In fact, Hebrews 9, 27. Then there's the book. Let me get there in a second. There's another book. It's called the Book of Works. Everybody say Book of Works. Now, this book contains all the lifetime activities of those who trust their own human works to save them. So here's something. You've got to think about some of this stuff. So could it be? That every human while they're living, there's a lot of angels, we don't know how many. But every human life is being recorded. Now think about it. Every thought, words, 
the things you do, along with motivations and reasons for what you do. It's all fair. But it's all recorded. Now think about that. that that's a lot of logistics. Would you agree? That's a lot of writing. That's a lot of books. That's a lot of organization. Hmm. So again, those that trust their own human works to save them, they'll be judged by those works because they think they're good enough to get to heaven. And see, you've got to understand God is loving. He's also extremely fair and he's extremely just. But nothing gets by God. So he's got a host of people, angels I'm assuming, that record the lifetime activities of every human. Now, now that means every human. Now, could it be even if you're a Christian that those things are being recorded? Well, yes. Yes. The good news is that book will never be opened. You die in Christ. The book of works will never be opened to judge your salvation. Is that good news or not? Hebrews 9, 27, and just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly wait for him. Is that good? <laughs> but just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, now, there are two separate judgments, and I've mentioned this so many times. Say it again. This judgment is the great white throne judgment, and that white throne refers to God's purity, God's holiness, God's justice, God's fairness. He's the judge seated on a throne, and all of the unbelievers of all ages in their death-doomed bodies, resurrected bodies are there in front of him, and he's a fair judge. They thought that their good works could save them, and, of course, we understand Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you're saved through faith that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Your salvation is not of works lest anyone should boast, but they're boasting because they think their works can save them. So God opens the book of life to see if their name is there, and then he opens another book, the book of works, and it says the dead were judged by those things written in the books according to what they had done. Now, listen to this, and I don't think, let's see, I'm going to read a couple of these. I, I've got some exhaustive research I did on works because people have kind of poo-pooed works these days, and works don't mean anything to God. We're saved by grace, and so all of our works go out the window. Well, works are important even for a believer. You're not, your salvation is not determined by them, but your obedience to God and how he can use you in eternity is determined by them, right? And your rewards are determined by them. But for unbelievers, here they are standing before Jesus, and they're thinking, well, certainly God's too good to allow me to go to hell. I'm going to heaven, because look at all the good things I've done. Hebrews 4.13 says this, there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we must give account. That means darkness doesn't hide, the bed covers don't hide, hiding in your closet don't hide. Going somewhere and living in a cave doesn't hide. You can't hide from God. Darkness and light are both alike. Proverbs 5.21, for the Lord sees clearly what a man does examining every path he takes. You can't run. Proverbs 15.3, the Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eyes on both the evil and the good. Psalm 62.12, 
Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you rendered to each one according to his works. Proverbs 24, 12. And you say, surely we did not know this. Does, he, uh, does not he who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind. Even to give every man, that's talking about humankind, man and woman, generic, according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Wow, isn't that interesting? And there's other, other passages here in my notes. God allows the book of works to be examined during the great white throne. So while people are living and God is aware of everything, the angels are marking down, writing down thoughts, words, actions, motivations, internal things that nobody can see. God's a fair judge. They ju- want to be judged by their works. He records their works so, so they can see them for themselves. And so their works don't stack up to the righteous judgment of God. We'll see that in just a minute. But God judges them justly because they think their works can get them to heaven. And no human work can ever be good enough to get a sinner into the gates of heaven. And and that's very clear right here. And let me talk about there's two kinds of judgments. No believers are here. This is just unbelievers. But as I mentioned last week, believers will stand before the judgment. The Greek word is B-E-M-A, bima. And it really means rewards. Uh, seat of Christ. It's really, and really it's a reference to the Olympic Games, the Greek Games, Grecian Games, first century. You got the runners running around an oval track, and you've got a guy sitting on a tall seat, and he's watching the runners run their race. He's making sure they follow the rules and the guidelines all the way around the track, and he's scrutinizing how they're doing. Now, that's the Bema, that's called the Bema seat. That's reward seat. He determines who wins, right? Who comes in first, who comes in second, who comes in third. And that is the word also used for the judgment seat or reward seat of Christ. It's not to scrutinize our salvation. Once you die in Jesus, you're going to heaven. Is that good news? But you will stand. Now, I'm just going to read this and Talked about this, I'll talk to it, about it, maybe have some more messages that go into greater detail. But you just got to read some of these things because it does make you think. You don't want to live a frivolous life in God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 Amplified. For we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat, the rewards, the bema seat of Christ, so that each one may receive his pay according to what he's done in the body, whether good or evil, considering what his purpose and motive have been and what he has achieved, been busy with, and given himself and his attention to accomplishing. Now that's a lot to say right there. I've taken that one verse right there, sat there a long time and said, oh God, help me. Because my motive was wrong. You do what you do to be seen by people, no reward. You do what you do for the glory of God and to help others, you get a reward. Romans 14, 10, but why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? Talking to believers, for we shall all stand before the Bema judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Now that's talking again not to a non-Christians. That's talk, talking about the great white throne judgment. That's talking about the Bema uh, judgment seat, the reward seat of Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians 3, 9. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. 
because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder, Paul says. Now other, others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be careful for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we've already already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. This work, this judgment here is the Bema seat, the reward seat of Christ. This is not talking about unbelievers, talking about Christians. That's his audience. And he says the fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. That's challenging. I don't know about, every time I read this, like, okay, I'm going to be right there. All right. Better get myself ready. You know, unless he props me up, I'm going to fall at his feet. But see, all of us, when we stand before Jesus individually after death, and that's separate from the great white throne. And I've said it so many times. You've got, you've got potentially six things there. You've got uh, gold, silver, jewels. And they're glistening, glowing. But, but then on top of them are twigs. Wood, hay, straw. Jesus' eyes are blazing. And all he's got to do is look at you. And I mentioned this last week that, uh, you know, people have seen a vision of this. A pastor 30, a couple, uh, 30 years ago wrote a book. I read it. And then uh, William Boo, founder of Salvation Army, God gave him a vision of this time. And he saw, he saw, and he heard two things. He heard, he heard ecstatic laughter and joy. People bellowing with laughter, joy. Then he heard guttural sobs. Just make your heart break. Just hear both sounds at the, judgment seat of Christ perhaps the guttural sobs are things you know you could have done maybe Jesus pulls the curtain and says see how it could have been and laying at your feet is consumed the wood hay the straw things we did for self glory self gain sermons I could have preached so you thought, thought I'm a great you think I'm a great preacher works you do so people see you a good believer Oh, those will not escape the fire. But the things we do because we love Jesus, because we don't want that person to go to hell, or we don't want him to suffer, we want to help him. And it's genuine from my heart. If nobody ever knows, nobody ever sees, it doesn't matter. It's the only thing that matters is God and them at the moment. That's gold. That's silver. That's jewel. Must I go an empty-handed? The Baptist hymnal says, Must I meet my Savior so? Must I go an empty-handed? Must I empty-handed go? You got a scene there in Revelation 4. The saints are bowing down. We sing the song. They're casting down their crowns before the glass. Looks like glass. The, the, the ground is glass. It looks like it's, it's glowing and before the throne of God and they're casting they're casting the things they got at the judgment seat of Christ the gold, the silver, the jewels their five crowns give their crown, throw it must I go in empty handed when you see Jesus and you see the holes in the jagged holes in his hands 
and you see his eyes full of love for you, and you see what he did for you, I just have a feeling you're going to want to give him something. Those guttural sobs could have been those who had nothing left but fire. They lived for themselves. They didn't live for others. They wanted to have a good time at the expense of a God time. Revelation 20, 13, the sea gave up the dead back to the great white throne. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and hell, Hades, delivered up the dead who were in them. Now this, what does this mean? This means the bodies, the, the, the uh, death-doomed bodies were resurrected from the earth and they stand in the corrupted flesh, giving an account for how they live their life. And they were judged, each one, according to his work. So again, since those without Christ expect their good works to keep them out of hell, they're judged by the standard of their works, not by the standard of the righteousness that Jesus has made available. Since they did not accept Jesus' free gift of righteousness, then they have no other choice but to go what it says in verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. First death is spiritual death. We all experience that. There's no way to be human and not experience spiritual death. We inherit that in Adam. It comes alive in us when we choose wrong. Then there's physical death, that separation of the spirit and soul from the physical body. But then this death, you may, you may experience spiritual death. You, you may experience physical death. But nobody has to experience the second death. Now this one right here, anyone not found written in the book of life, it's cast into the lake of fire. Once you go there, you don't get out. There are no do-overs. It's permanent. And it is eternal. Now, I've, I've got a series I've done on hell. I'll do it again sometime. But the, the worm die, never dies and the fire is never quenched. It's hard to fathom hell. God doesn't want any person to go to hell. God's eyes see those that go even to hell and then the lake of fire. Really, hell is a holding tank, just like a county jail. People that are arrested, criminals, they go to the jail awaiting their hearing and then their sentencing. If they're sentenced and they have for perhaps, you know, lifetime, you go to a penitentiary, what is the lake of fire? Well, people get out of hell, then they go before it, they have a hearing And then there's a judgment. God is the judge. The sentence is bestowed. And the federal penitentiary of eternity is the lake of fire. Now, you know, uh, people can get out sometimes of a penitentiary here. But you don't get out of this one. Wow. So that's Satan's eventual doom. Every person that chooses not to believe in Jesus will be right there. Isn't that sobering? So, dear Father God... 
put eternity in our hearts as we close tonight. Help us to see people the way you see them. Help us to view life the way you view it. Help us to ever bear in our minds it's the grace of God that brought salvation through the blood of Jesus to us. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but by his own mercy he saved us. As Titus said, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray that you'd burn these truths into our consciousness. Lord, I pray beginning tonight for me and all of us, every time our eyes are set upon a person, may we see an eternal being with eternal value and with an eternal destiny. Uh, One place without Christ is the lake of fire. The other one is the pristine joys of the new heaven and new earth. Lord, we just take a moment. Would you name the names of those you know without Christ while you're sitting there? Father, we take a moment. We pray for the people we work for. Name the names of the people you work with. Hopefully, everybody that I work with is saved. They work on church staff. How about the people you work with? Name their names. How about your family members? That one. 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 Oh, God. Name your family members. You don't know if they're saved. Name their name. How about your neighbors, Lord? The neighbors across the street. Right beside us. On either side. Go in our garages and we shut the door and never talk. We pray for these people, Lord. May they not go to the lake of fire. May they stand before Jesus one day. May they be saved. Bring salvation, Lord. Help us to live in such a way. Give us opportunities that our voice, our mouth, our words, our lifestyle can share who you are. Lord, burn it in our hearts. Burn eternity in our hearts and our thoughts. Help us to make the changes we need to make today. Forgive us for where we've missed the mark. Cleanse us by his blood tonight. Wash us new. Make us free.